When you think about applying for a practice loan, do you think about speed and simplicity? Likely not. For many veterinarians, applying for business loans can be a long and fatiguing process. Luckily, the sponsor of the podcast, Provide Inc., has changed all that. Provide is a specialty lender to the veterinary industry. They're the only, and I mean only, fully online and digital lender in the veterinary space, which makes life easy. You know I go on and on, and I'm so pro-practice ownership. I cannot be happier to have Provide be a sponsor. Whether you're in Maine or California, Provide can help. They aren't going to require you to open your savings account or jump through some hoops to get some sort of relationship discount on your loan. They're simply just going to say, here's our rate, this is the process, and we're going to do a good job. Provide uses innovative software and technology coupled with excellent service and an industry experience to deliver something that's just more efficient. Even on very complicated transactions, Provide can make a decision on whether they're going to lend in a mere five to seven business days. As we all know, time is money and having those answers quickly matters. Provide offers financing for practice acquisitions, buy-ins or buy-outs, commercial real estate, refinancing, practice remodels, all that stuff. Anything that you have around financing for your veterinary clinic and your business, they can help you with. So when you think about it, you can pre-qualify in minutes with no effect on your credit score. That's a benefit as well. For more information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com, scroll all the way to the bottom. You'll see a hyperlink under the Provide bio. That'll get you directly to where you can pre-qualify. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in 10 minutes or less. And if you do want to reach out directly to them, please let them know that I sent you. They'll take great care of you and they will be alongside you for one of the biggest purchases of your life and do a great job at it. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I am joined by Jamie O'Kane, who is the owner and founder of Abundant Beans Tax and Accounting and the host of a wonderful podcast, the Abundant Beans Podcast. I love the tagline that you have on LinkedIn, giving you the confidence that your taxes and accounting are working for you, not against you. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, finally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We've talked about this for a while and it's finally here, which is good. And I wanted to kick it off with just kind of what are common questions that you've been receiving lately from clients or what's been kind of the tone? You know, the focus is a lot on the latest pandemic legislation. So PPP loan round two, employee retention credits, the FFRCA payroll tax credits. I think those are the big ones right now. People like to ask me about like what's going to happen with Biden, and I just don't know and don't really have anything to say about that. He'll do what he does, and we will adjust because that's what we do. We do tax strategy around whatever our options are. Yeah, I've had that conversation too. It's like, well, I've seen people put out stuff, but at this point, we don't really know. It's all proposed, and what gets done versus what someone says they're going to do is very, very different. And you can't really start planning for something that's not done well, yet. That's not helpful. Not only that, Congress decides these things, right? So. Congress decides the fiscal policies and the tax legislation. So it doesn't really matter what the president wants. <laughs> Quite honestly, Congress has to agree to it and the Senate has to agree to it. So if we do, you know, how does a bill become a bill? Well, it has the tax law become a tax law. If it's not somebody that has an actual impact on whether something gets passed or not, I'm probably not going to pay attention, honestly, because I could spend all day doing that and it's just not helpful to anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did mention it at the top, but you describe the tax and accounting that is working for you versus against you. Can you unpack that a little bit and tell me what does that mean for the non-CPAs in the audience today? I feel like a lot of business owners feel like taxes are a burden. They feel like their accounting systems are a burden. Taxes are not fun. They're working against what their goals are and where they want to go. 
And we focus on tax strategy. So our goal is to create structures and strategies and entities that impact the client's life and impact businesses so people can move towards their goals. And we do that by goal-based planning. What do you want? Where do you want to go? What's important to you? And how do we create structures and strategies that move you towards those things or help mitigate tax, put cash back in your pocket, free up dollars for investment, whatever, whatever's important to you. I always like to say it's also judgment-free zone. Like, I don't care what you spend your money on. Let's see if I can figure out a way to deduct it. So we work within the law because we have a ton of it to create strategies and plans that work with the clients instead of oh, you know, I'm being taxed so many dollars or I believe my tax rate is crazy. There's ways to mitigate that. But also we do kind of some education around like, what is your actual effective tax rate? What does make the most sense for you? Can you talk a little bit about what an effective tax rate is? And I know it's probably easier visually to see it, but so many people here, like I'm in this tax bracket, so I pay this. And it's like, well, not exactly. Let's understand that. And it's not just the... 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, or whatever they change to? Okay. So there's two types, right? So there's the marginal tax rate. So those are your pretty little tax tables that you see. And what happens in those, I'm going to explain those because that's how we get into effective rate. So what happens on a tax table is you will see zero to 10,000, I'm just going to use round numbers, is tax. Let's just say 10%. So that means those first $10,000 are taxed at that rate. And then it'll say $10,001 to let's just do $25,000 because I don't actually have them right here, but let's just use round numbers. And let's just say that's taxed at 12%. So it's only the next step up that's taxed at that next rate. So when you put all those brackets together, you come up with your effective tax rate, kind of. So basically how to calculate your effective tax rate is to take your total tax, I mean, pull up your 1040, your personal tax return, page two, total tax, and divide that by your taxable income. That'll be your effective rate. So that's what every additional dollar gets taxed at roughly. I use this for estimates. I use this to back into, does this strategy make sense or does this strategy make sense? But an effective tax rate tells you how much each dollar you spend on your business would save you. So if your effective tax rate is 15%, every dollar you spend saves you 15 cents or that's what you pay out in tax. I think one of the things that's challenging as a like a professional services, and it's easy when you're in the business to say like, oh, this is a good advisor. This is a good CPA. They're doing good work. But as a consumer to go, again, with taxes being very overwhelming and sometimes scary, how do you know or how would you give advice and guidance around how do you know if someone's good at their job as a CPA or as someone that's helping them? Yeah, it's so subjective. However, there's a, I would say we have a PR problem, but there's a large range of service providers similar to what, I mean, all financial advisors are different as well. We specialize in different things or we have different things that we do. But in my industry, you're looking at really our tax repairs, just on the tax end, we can talk about accounting later. On the tax end, we really have our really just strict tax repairs and their bread and butter is as many tax returns as possible for as many people as possible. So product-based, high volume. Those people rarely will also answer your questions in the middle of the year and sit down with you and answer your questions and go over strategies and things like that because that's not what they do. They make their money January through whatever date the tax returns are due. It's just a crapshoot right now. 
they make their money in that time. And that's how they make their money. And it's fine. That's actually pretty traditional in our industry. And then obviously, there's a blend. But on the other end is our tax strategists, which is what we do, which is a low volume model. We have, I think right now we have about 40 clients. We won't take more than 100 because it's relationship goal-based. I can't, if I do 500 tax returns a year, how am I going to know who to help? I don't even know who you are, probably. Or like, I saw your face, but I'm going to forget it because I had 10 other appointments that day. So ours is goal-based and relationship-based because when we have a relationship with a client, then we know how to help them strategize. Also, we do plan first. So I'm always looking for tax savings. The first thing we do for a client is a tax plan or some strategy of something. And I'm asking them what the goals are. We're creating a relationship through my understanding of what they want and helping them move towards that. So it's really ROI up front too. We quote everything based on a percentage of savings usually. We try to at least. You can almost always find some savings for our clients. And then we work on a recurring monthly amount. So our clients pay monthly for our services, including tax preparation. We can do everything up to consulting CFO services. So you want to find that person that is more relationship-based, that is taking the time to understand your goals and where you want to go, and has built-in mechanisms to continue to have those conversations. So you might sit down with the tax person. They might do an initial consult with you, take the time to do the face-to-face, and then they do it with your tax return, and then you never hear from them again until next tax season, because that's how this works. But they were super helpful in that initial consult. Well, yeah, because they wanted your tax business. But if they don't have built-in mechanisms to get you in there at least another one or two times a year, they're not going to be consulting-based, which is fine. It works. It's a model that has worked for millennia. But that's not what I want for my clients. It's not what I want for my practice either. Yeah, I think it's a key point to think through is like, yeah, and obviously, if you're only going to have X amount of clients, it's going to be much more relationship-based you charge more for the services because there's more value added. And I think it's important to say, hey, well, this CPA charged me this much and this person's going to do it way cheaper. You might be comparing apples to a hamburger. Like there's no comparison of what someone's doing for you. So I think that's really important. And I appreciate the overview there. Yeah, I think it's really important. If you're looking for somebody who's consulting advisor based, you're going to pay for it. I wake at night thinking about our clients. Every time I learn something new, I'm like, which client can I apply that to? Or can I? Or how do we help our clients? And that's impossible to do on a high value model because you don't even really know who those people are. Mm -hmm. Or what they're trying to work towards. You only see what information they've given you and you say, that's great. But You get the past tax data entry, not the proactive future. Where are you going? How do we structure things to get you there? And then just handle the compliance on that. Earlier, you just mentioned it, talking about quarterly taxes and trying to think through some, again, there's a range of different people that listen to this podcast. So from a veterinary perspective, you're going to have people that are going to be employees. You're going to have people that are contractors or 1099. Can you talk a little bit about differences, thoughts around why that's important and kind of what opportunities may be between the two of those? Yeah, I actually do. I work with Really Forever a lot. Cindy Trice is one of my favorite people on this planet. And this model of really just B2B, one sole provider services to other businesses. It's a great model and it's a much needed model. And we actually just did a webinar on contractors versus part-time employees. So just to be careful and understand that when you're providing business-to-business services, you're running a business. 
You need to charge accordingly. Make sure you're covering costs. Make sure you have proper advisors to help you run that business. And you're doing proper compliance and every state's different and all of that. But tax projections, I mean, if I could have every tax preparer on the planet do one thing for their clients, it would be yearly tax projections. You want to know where you're going to be. You want to like make some moves. The middle of the year is the best time to do that. February is not the time to do moves for 2020. It's just not. I mean, we can, but your options are just so limited. We should be looking at this stuff in June, July, and giving you really a medium amount of time to get stuff implemented and get you the savings that we can find. Talking a little bit about business ownership. And again, I'm an advocate of business ownership. I talk about a lot. We are probably both biased from that standpoint since we own our own businesses that, hey, this is great. Is it always easy? No, but it can be worth it. When you think about someone doing a startup, and I think startups are likely going to become more and more important as we see the range of valuations for clinics and hospitals get a lot higher for multiple doctors, it's going to be more and more difficult to buy into that. So maybe the opportunity set is a startup. What does someone need to be thinking about from a tax and accounting standpoint? If I want to do a startup and I say, I have a great idea, but shoot, where do I start? And who do I need on my team? I know that's like five questions in one, but I love veterinary startups. That's kind of my favorites, quite honestly, right now. We're newer in the niche. I'm going to be 100%. We're newer in the niche. We're just kind of getting our feet wet just because we don't take that many clients. It's a slow thing. But we have a startup that started about eight months ago. It's just so fun to watch her kill it. She's kicking ass. She's got a relief bed in there a couple of days a week so she can take a day off. Eight months in, my friends. Eight months in. What's important in a startup is to understand what you're purchasing. Number one, structuring those purchases properly. If you're purchasing. If you're just doing a ground up, Where's your space? Does the rent make sense? Do you have proper people to help you with the lease? What is your loan stuff? I mean, I think you all probably know this, but veterinarians can get lots of loan for not much dollars. <laughs> They're one of the lowest risks for bankers to lend to. I think they might be the lowest risk in the healthcare. But what I always suggest is actual financial projections. We do those based on industry averages generally. And you're looking at your industry average revenue versus your rent and you're like, oh, that's not going to work, which is actually what happened with our startup. They had to go find a new space because they were like, oh, we can't cover that. And I was like, not if you want to get paid in the next couple of years. Making decisions based on numbers and gut. Like it might be beautiful. It might be exactly where you want it, but doesn't make sense numbers wise. That's what I always encourage because usually as a veterinarian, you don't have a lot of accounting knowledge, nor should you. Having solid projections and consultants to help you look at those numbers. And it doesn't have to be me. There's plenty of consultants out there that do numbers too. Projections. Lizzie Mamalis is here in the Denver area and I love her dearly. She's one of the big ones. But those projections are so helpful and they're even more helpful when you actually get in and start making money and you get to blow those projections out of the water. It's just so fun, right? And I do them very conservatively because I want my clients to be like, well, I'm going to kill that because it creates this momentum. So that's what I suggest. You have to have a team. You can't just be like, oh, well, so-and-so is an S-corp, so I'm going to be an S-corp and I'm not going to actually talk to anybody about it if that makes any sense for me. Be intentional about how you do your startup and how you're structuring things for your long-term goals. And that might just be, I just want to work in my whatever, but that's fine. Eventually, you're going to want to get paid. <laughs> and we have to know if it's going to make sense. 
we did not share questions before this, but I usually do just because you have your podcast. I knew we would just five back and forth. But I was the I next question. I what I was going to ask next was about LLCs or S corps, and then you just brought that up. So I think that's a convenient <laughs> um, transition. Can I just hop on my? I'm going to hop on my S corp soapbox real fast. Yes. S corps are not the gold standard entity. They don't always make sense. They rarely make sense for a startup. There's compliance. There's payroll. There's stuff that comes with an S-Corp that doesn't make sense out of the gate. And it may not ever make sense, depending on what your goals are. Here's how you find a tax person. You ask them what kind of entity that you should be. And if they say S-Corp, you run the other way. Because it doesn't always make sense. And it shouldn't be recommended without proper analysis. That's my soapbox on S-Corps. I have a good friend that started his financial planning business about the same time. And he decided to be an S-Corp right out of the box as a startup and he regretted it <laughs> pretty quickly I can't um, for a variety it. of reasons, but I've seen that firsthand. S-Corps require cash flow. S-Corps require cash flow for payroll because you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. You can't just go pay yourself some nominal amount. That's not how this works. And if you don't have the cash flow for that, or if you want to max your step out every year or whatever your financial advisor recommends, being an S-Corp out of the gate is not going to help you because your salary is going to be lower than your maximum abilities. <laughs> and then you have to include your employees too. So be intentional about your entity strategies. Do it when it makes sense. Have somebody on your team who is looking at everything on a monthly basis. I actually just had this conversation with my startup yesterday. They're like, well, when do we become an S-Corp? I'm like, I am watching this. We do monthly meetings. We do monthly budgets. We do projections kind of have an idea on this, but we're watching it because I will know when it's time to actually look at that analysis. I've had people have to take lines of credit on their credit card to do their payroll in an S-Corp. They should have never been an S-Corp in the first place. <laughs> Can they be unwound? Yes. Do we want to do that? No. Because then you can't be an S-Corp for another five years, I believe. Don't just hop in to an entity structure that's not flexible. And I've always heard that LLCs are a lot more flexible for a variety of reasons. And even when you get into partnerships and other things that if you want to have multiple owners, that there's some reasons for that. Is there anything else that is a word of caution around S-Corps? Well, let's talk about LLCs real fast because I just think people think that's like a taxable entity. It's not. LLCs are state-based registrations, basically. So LLCs can be taxed in four ways, maybe even more than that, but let's just go with four. Sole proprietor, Schedule C on your 1040. S-Corps, partnerships, if you have more than two people, or a C-Corp. You can have an LLC registration in your state and be taxed as any of those things. So an LLC doesn't mean anything. So if you say to me, I'm an LLC, I'll say taxed as. That doesn't mean anything to me. An LLC isn't a structure. An LLC is a state registration option. I guess it's a legal structure. I don't know. I don't do legal stuff. So it's a legal state entity. Yeah. No, I think that is last thing on this because I don't want just harp on it. But it is important, especially as you take over, whether you're doing just a ground up completely from scratch startup or you're purchasing someone out. Let's talk about acquisitions because I think they're interesting because there's always a lot of questions of what someone needs to do and thinking about what the sale looks like. And again, not that we're the brokers that are brokering the sale, but trying to think through what's fair and equitable and how do you get your entity set up? Because it's more than just you sign the paperwork to transition. There's a lot more that goes into it. What do you see trips people up? So I think the things that trip people up the most is the type of purchase. So is it an asset purchase? So are you purchasing the assets and the goodwill of the business? Or are you actually purchasing like the entire business? So those are kind of the 
two big options. So what are you purchasing? I think the second thing is, what do you want to get paid? So taking out whatever the prior owner was getting paid, understanding what personal expenses they've been running through the business, being very intentional about the due diligence, the financials, and understanding, is there going to be enough for what I want to make? Culture. I mean, I could talk about business stuff all day. Culture. Do you want to buy this business? Things like that. But there's also ways to structure purchases and sales that is either better for the purchaser or better for the seller. So making sure that you have somebody on your end advocating for what's better for you instead of just taking whatever the seller wants to offer you in terms. So can you unpack the difference between the stock and asset sale? Which one is more attractive to a buyer? An asset sale is generally attractive to a buyer. You want to, because you're not buying the liabilities of the business. So you're just purchasing whatever assets, including customers, inventories, equipment, things like that. And then you're taking those things and you're putting them into your own entity, whatever that may be. It's probably an LLC and we'll decide how it's taxed later. An entire sale. So just if you're buying the entire thing, you're buying the, this is usually like a stock purchase. So you're purchasing all the assets, all the potential liabilities, everything that comes with both sides of the balance sheet. I always say both sides of the balance sheet. You're getting all the assets, but also all the potential liabilities. So if there's loans on equipment, things like that, generally you're taking over all of those things as well. So for a purchaser, generally they're just like, we want the assets. The liabilities are your problem. If there are any, the seller wants to sell the entire entity or the entire bits of stock because that's more tax advantage for them generally. And then they don't have to worry about the liabilities on the back end. So that's kind of in general, we're looking at there. Yeah. And with the stock sale, the entity keeps going as far as like the EIN number for that operating business. And then you would have a new EIN and a completely new kind of fresh slate for your asset purchase, which I think, like you said, is really important from a liability standpoint, but it's just good to have kind of a reset as well. It depends. Like maybe there aren't any liabilities, but also maybe you need all new equipment because usually we have liabilities on new equipment. So really just kind of understanding what you're purchasing and what that needs, like And either way, what am I purchasing? What does I potentially need to replace? Because I know equipment's a huge deal in all medical, our dentals or our vets. You don't want to purchase 20-year-old equipment and an asset asset purchase because it's just not going to be beneficial to anybody. Unless they're giving you a good deal and you can just throw it out the back at the end. Yeah. (laughs) One thing with so many different I guess it's come up in different conversations recently too, is why should get the real estate because it's tax advantage and I can run it through a separate entity and there's a lot of benefits and people throw that around, but I feel like they maybe don't understand it. I know it can get detailed, but can you kind of try to unpack and explain why that may be beneficial versus saying, I'm just going to lease this space or what that might. It's just like people who want to hop into a bunch of rentals. (laughs) They don't really want to manage them, which is fine. There's options for that. If you have no business experience, hopping into a business plus a structure that you have to maintain might be over your head. And the loans on that are large too. Buying the real estate or eventually having your practice in your own real estate, it's important for long-term planning. So you could just sell the veterinary practice and keep the real estate and keep that passive income. And if the real estate includes other spaces for other businesses it might make sense to do a full purchase. But really understanding that you already are purchasing a practice you have to run, 
my deal is like, I want people to build sustainable businesses that give them time and money. Does maintaining a building on that list for you? So there's always considerations. And then if we have passive income streams, once you're out of the business, how are you going to absolve that with active income streams? Not everybody wants to own real estate. I know I don't. But it, it can work if it's something that is important to your long-term plan. Yes, you can have it in different entities. Yes, you can pay rent. You need to be careful about how those rental agreements are structured to make sure that you can deduct the expenses. But I don't know. I just don't like seeing people getting over their heads. Rent a practice for a few years and then try to buy the real estate. Because those are different purchases usually. And the banks don't love those as much as they love just practice purchases, as far as I understand. Yeah. And I've seen it where, yeah, some banks are like, mm, not interested. Others like, yeah, lump it all together and we'll make it work. And yeah, I think it just depends on their appetite for risk at the moment. Also, it depends on where is it? Yeah. What's the value? What are they asking for the building? Yeah. yeah what's the appreciation on this potential real estate bit? Is it always just going to forever be a vet practice? That might not have the best potential appreciation. Just don't know. Yeah. Talk to me about retirement plans and how you approach it. I always say I know enough about retirement strategies and advisory to be dangerous. <laughs> so we do this based on it's goal based, right? So if my client's entire goal is to like sock as much money away in the next 10 years, then we're saying, okay, well, here's kind of some of your options for that. Let's also bring in the proper person to help you implement that stuff. Cause I, again, am only smart enough on some of this stuff to recommend. But if you tell me that you want to buy the real estate, let's just say you want to start your practice and your next goal is to buy the real estate. Well, I'm not going to have you sock a bunch of money away that you can't then access, which is why goal-based planning is so important. If you just tell me you want to mitigate tax, I might have you put money in a place where you can't access it nor use it for your long-term goals. So understanding where you want to go helps us help you. You know, what are your long-term strategies? Is it just pre-tax savings? What is your post-tax options? Do you want both? We can only help on the tax end. This is why advisors are so important, right? Because you would see something in their long-term strategy with their savings that I probably might not see when I'm just trying to make sure that they have as much cash in the business as possible. Or they say, oh, well, I just want to stack as much away as possible. So that all has to be balanced properly, which is why we work with people like you. Because... We all have our expertise and we stick it all together with the goals generally isn't a better place for the business owner. And they feel more confident too. I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I've had a client be like, well, I just want to put as much money away. And I'm like, okay, well, you should go establish something. They're like, well, I'm just going to do a simple IRA. (laughs) You know, like, all right, well, maybe let's go talk to somebody about a DB plan or a cash balance plan, or let's do some back to Roth stuff. Like there's so many options for this, pre-tax, post-tax, whatever. But then let's also sock that money away in those pre-tax and then not taxed later things. Let's max those first. And I'm sure you guys do the same thing. But also one of the things I work with my clients on, and I think it's really important is what is their happy cash? (laughs) How much cash in the bank makes it okay for you to sleep at night? And every owner has their dollar amount in their mind. Maybe it's three months of expenses. Maybe it's four. Maybe it's six. I don't know. But if we can put that money in savings for them, then they can sleep at night and know that whatever they produce is just icing. 
So that's part of it too. It's broad saving strategies, right? Which is sock away your three months of emergency cash, sock away your savings, things like that. We do that within businesses too, especially with our consulting clients. What feels happy? What helps you sleep at night so that you can cover costs for the next however months? What makes the most sense for you? I still think you might be a mind reader because I was going to ask about cash in businesses because I've had (laughs) conversations recently and some people just want to hold so much cash. And there's a handful of reasons that we don't necessarily need to get into, but I feel like that's going to be very painful for people that hold a lot of cash. And so I was going to ask kind of what your thoughts are. I'm not called it happy money, but it's usually what's the level that you feel comfortable with, like the same thing on like the personal level. But if someone says, I don't have a happy number, what would be your suggestion on how much cash should I keep in this business? And I know it depends, but... For most of our clients, especially those that have high overhead, they've got their rent, that's ridiculous. They have these fixed costs that they're paying every month. We kind of just add that stuff up for them and say, just three months of this is probably perfect. Like if something happened and you needed to be sick for a month or who knows... You could cover things for a few months, their loan payments, things like that. So we just kind of go through and it's just like, you know, what is our fixed cash flow? What really will we have? If we had to shut down and couldn't produce, what would we still need to be paying? And three to six months, usually, depending. I mean, some people like to have more, some like to have less. But those are kind of the numbers that I want to see in savings because that's what helps our clients sleep at night. They know they can pay their loans, they can pay their rent, pay their utilities. They might be closed, but they can at least open the doors tomorrow. So that's what I suggest. The rest of it should probably be moved out of the entity towards their goals, right? Or use towards their goals or to hire people or to give them more time. So what are we using our money for? What are our priorities? And what's a happy cash amount? I do want to say that this is probably pretty old school, but since we're talking about cash, people like to think that if they're getting taxed on the cash in their business at the end of the year, and then they'll just move everything out don't do that. It doesn't matter. So keep your cash in your business. It's totally fine to keep it there. Some entity structures, you actually have to move the cash out. So C-Corps, you can't retain a certain amount of accumulated earnings or cash in the business, basically because they want you to not stockpile it. (laughs) But that's a whole nother thing and things we get around with. If it has a purpose or we can come up with a purpose for it, then there's ways around that. But have the cash you need. But as a business owner, if you don't have any other use for that cash, let's get it out of there. Yeah. And I have listened to a number of podcasts. I'm going to tie this back to my question here in a second, but the idea, and you even said it too, which is money is energy. So it's like the way that we store all the energy, the output that we have, when you get that revenue back in, that's the output of your energy. So like money is the best storage of energy. And I want to tie that into, because I know we've chatted about this, your interest around crypto, Bitcoin, all that stuff. I think it's interesting. And it's definitely something that I want to expand more on, because I think from a standpoint of how important this topic is going to be in the next 10 years and getting education on it more than just me bringing it up random times and people hearing me talk about it. I want to have other people that I have at least expressed interest to come share what their thoughts are on it and what you've seen. I have a very limited amount of crypto. I just find it very interesting. I find blockchain very interesting because blockchain is basically just like inbred accounting systems, which is just fascinating to me because that's what I do. I'm a numbers and accounting nerd. Crypto on the tax end is just a very interesting... So the IRS believes that crypto is an asset. It's an investment vehicle. So you're going to have capital gains every time you do anything with crypto. 
So if I have I put $10 of crypto, I don't even know. I have one Bitcoin and my coffee's half a Bitcoin, but I only paid 0.75 <laughs> for said Bitcoin. I don't even know how this works. I'd have to do the math. But every time you do that, you're accumulating capital gains or capital losses. And the reporting requirements are interesting. But again, like my fascination with crypto is the blockchain and how that creates these amazing systems and processes to track things. They do a lot of crypto in the marijuana industry here in Colorado. From seed to sale, they're tracking things via blockchain and crypto from seed to sale, which is very, it's just fascinating to me because I'm a numbers nerd. I feel like crypto is like other stocks, quite honestly, at this point. It's kind of mainstream, just becoming more mainstream, I guess, but I don't have feelings about it, quite honestly. Just like anything, I just find it interesting. I don't think I have enough understanding of crypto and kind of how the system works and how people are making money and things like that beyond the use of blockchain, the tax, tax you know, options on the back end over here that we're looking at for clients and just kind of making sure, is there anything that happened this year with your crypto that I need to know about? The government doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I think that's true of all governments probably right now. But to take earnings or take money out of the traditional systems Anytime we do that, I just find it fascinating. There's the whole infinite banking concepts and things like that. And I always just think that those are just so interesting. But it gives people more autonomy around their options, I think, as well. So I would say I'm kind of neutral. It's just interesting to me at this point. I don't have any crypto, so I don't know. My two cents is it's Bitcoin. That's all that matters at this moment. And then from there... Not GameStop? No, not GameStop. (laughs) Not GameStop, just Bitcoin. I always let uh, guests ask a question of me. So I guess I'll pose it and it can be either personal. It can be financial, like just a financial advisor related, like frustration from a CPA that sees stuff and is like, why do you, you know, anything, you can take it any way you want as far as the question. What is your favorite place or how do you help your vet clients create wealth? Oddly enough, when you talk about retirement plans, I think sometimes people want to implement those too quickly just from the standpoint of a rate of return. Like if I have a dollar today, where's the best place to put it? I would much rather go reinvest it back in the business. If it's a well-run business, obviously you need to understand those things. But the rate of return on a veterinary clinic is higher than what you're going to get in kind of the traditional markets and you have a lot more control over it. So that to me, that's why I'm pro ownership. I think the questions, concerns, scariness of big student loan debt, the the easiest way to pay that back is if I can raise my income. How do I raise my income? I raise my income if I can earn more. How do I earn more? I earn more as an owner. So that's kind of the way that I approach it. And then bring up the questions around how do you complement it outside of that? How do you give yourself flexibility? I mean, exactly. And that's why you and I get along. It's about the well-rounded plan, right? If we put all the eggs in the practice basket, we can never sell it or it doesn't continue to appreciate in the way that it is right now. What else do we have? What else has it given us? Again, the time and money thing is so important. It's not just money. What are we setting up to create time as well? Yeah, I think that's super important. And I always say there's nothing wrong with making money. Money is literally just a tool. You can use it however you want to. You can pay your staff more. You can donate it. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to have a pile of gold coins in your swimming pool out back and swim in it, right? Like you can do a lot of other things. I used to work for Scrooge McDuck, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't have to be that way. And money does not need to be something evil. And if you want to save it and consume it, that's not wrong either. I think you said that earlier, just like, hey, you're there to give advice and guidance and whatever they want per their goals. Judgment-free zone. 
Some people like to donate to charity and that's super passionate. And other people are like, could care less. So it's up to them. Let them decide and drive that. Yeah, my background, I'm also birth doula. I birth doula for about three or four years. It's just judgment free. Like people make their own decisions based on their own understanding of things, on their own priorities, based on their gut feelings, based on what other people would do. Like the way that people make decisions, with the decisions they make, they're probably not going to be the same as the way that I would make them. That doesn't make them wrong for them. And that really taught me this non-judgmental, like, what do you want? Okay, let me see if I can help you get there. I don't care what that thing is. And I have no feelings about that. But you have to know what you want to move towards it. So, you know, I'll ask people, well, what do you want? And they're like, "Mm, I don't know. I just want to replace my salary. Okay, well, that's not what business owners do. Like, if I wanted to just replace my salary, I just go work somewhere else. I was going to say, I probably could at this state and and point in my life, I could have made a lot more working for someone else. Me too. And I know that. I know yeah. that I could have made a lot more if that was the end all be all. So Yeah, but I wouldn't have this freedom. Yeah. I wouldn't have the ability to do what I'm doing to this, probably. Yeah. I wouldn't have the ability to have a podcast. I wouldn't have the ability to build a business that really impacts I couldn't spend my days actually like positively impacting people through their tax situation. So I get to actually focus on what I'm really good at and what my superpowers are. And yeah. Eventually, it'll make me more money. (laughs) But that's a long game, right? Having a firm that doesn't just turn out tax returns is a lot harder to grow (laughs) than a firm that just does tax returns. It just is what it is. And I had to be good with that. This is long game stuff. You got to understand why you started, but also what's the end goal? What's the finish line look like? And then work towards that and kind of back through. But I think it's easy to do what's traditional or do what that most of the industry does or just kind of fall into doing the things that people ask you for, but it's not the things they actually need. And that's the switch. That's the change in mindset for me. It even says on our website, like the top FAQ is, well, do you just do tax returns? And the answer is no, because practice owners don't just need tax returns. They just don't. Like if that's all you're going to your tax preparer for, you're being disadvantaged. You're not getting all of the potential options and all the potential benefits of that relationship. And you probably need a lot more than just a tax return. I have actually never met a practice owner that didn't need more than that. I would agree. As we wrap up for those looking to listen to the podcast and hear more of what you have to say, check out the business. Where would you send them? How do they connect with you? Abundantbeans.com. Or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Jamie O'Kane, CPA, CTC. That's the easiest way to get to us. The pod, uh, the podcast and the firm are all now on one website. And you mentioned a webinar earlier. Are those posted anywhere? Can people get access to the one, that contractor webinar? So that would be on Relief Vet, our Relief River. Got it. With Cindy Trice. I don't know if she has got it up on the website yet. So that was a couple of weeks ago. If it's out there for anyone listening, they want to find it. I'm going to try to post it in the show notes. If we can find it, if not, then you know where to go. Go to Relief Rover and ask for it. Yeah, go see Cindy over there. Yeah, let us know. Let me know if people are looking for it. You can shoot a request over to Cindy. For some reason, Zoom won't let us like make it paid on the back end once it's recorded. So we were confused. I just handed the video to her. So hopefully she'll get that up soon. I'll be working with Relief Forever, you know, to help practices and Relief Vets. Because we get both business sites on Relief Forever, which is awesome. We can help. I know staffing is a huge issue in the industry. Getting good people getting good help, even taking some time, those sustainable business things, you know, hiring people. So hundred percent. Well, thank you for your time and you're welcome for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.